And now for something completely different. Welcome to Shout Out. Out of the closet and into your ears. Welcome to Shout Out. Your weekly dose of everything LGBTQIA+. This week, Saskia is back chatting to Andrew Mooge about queer Britain. And my amazing queer story looks at Little Richard's wildlife and our History Month shorts continue. Right here, right now, on Shout Out. sing all the way through we needn't say anything we could just boom 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 you mean, I, I could just do it myself to be fair i can talk for england uh, just just make sure terry's there terry are you there i am we'll see you loud and Joe. clear thank you terry there's three of us Excellent. in the studio and um terry's in his harry potter studio under the stairs as usual <laughs> i gotta warn you actually the internet connect cable is actually sellotaped into the back of my computer because the kind of clip oh. has come off so if I vanish <laughs> that's what I vanish to to get some I'm more glad you sellotape told me that before, before we read it, the news Terry no. it's <laughs> so high tech in community radio isn't it you know BBC <laughs> doesn't have this Victoria Derbyshire doesn't sit on uh, you know roll of sellotape in case something goes wrong on BBC <laughs> News she doesn't no we should say other te- other types of uh, clear sticky tape are available that elsewhere. is true <laughs> and blue tack and similar tack well. Yes, <laughs> and gaffer, and oh. uh, a gaffer, a gaffer. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it started. It's <laughs> gaffer tape, the one you get just from Bristol, or is that worldwide? Wow, <laughs> I th- I don't think it's actually a brand of tape. Oh, it's okay. a type of tape. Type. It's not a brand. Right. Okay. There's going to be some of my mouth if I carry this on. Uh, possibly <laughs> <laughs> side eye death stella how are you Andy yes, good week all, all good thanks um, yeah quite good week interesting and uh, nice to nice to be out and about occasionally so yeah now if you're listening to this on the Thursday broadcast you know that um, uh, tomorrow morning is going to be quite breezy and if you're listening to this on Friday on uh, some of our stations then you'll already be in amongst it um, or- especially in the southwest yes or it may have actually have been finished and done and dusted by then. Who Let's knows? Hope. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And Let's of course, so. our listeners Let's over so. in the east and um, uh, southeast uh, probably aren't going to get it as much as uh, people listening in Cornwall, Devon, uh, Somerset, and uh, Bristol. Mm. Yeah. It's going to be a smackeroonie. My friend's got a lot of chickens, <laughs> and she's uh, at the moment considering bringing them all into the lounge. Uh, oh, in Wales, oh. I should say, in Wales. That's different. <laughs> well, they've got to stay yeah. safe. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Don't want blowing away. Yeah. <laughs> no. Right, let's get on with the show. We've got your queer streak coming up. Little Richard, I'm really looking forward to, to hearing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meanwhile... LGBT History Month with BZFM 93.2 Dawn Langley-Simmons Simmons was a prolific English author and biographer writing biographies of Princess Margaret and Jacqueline Kennedy She was assigned male at birth although claimed to have been born intersex 
She transitioned to female, including undergoing surgery in 1968, and married John Paul Simmons in 1969, the first legal interracial marriage in South Carolina. In 1970, Simmons wrote her first autobiography, Man into Woman, a Transsexual Autobiography. The second volume, All for Love, followed in 1975, and her third, Dawn, a Charleston Legend, was published in 1995. Shout out. LGBT Radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. There's a title right there from the Moody Blues. Ride my seesaw. Why don't you? And guess who's back? Only Sasuke. Woo! <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to LGBTQ Plus Shout Out Radio and my Sasuke chat. I must say it is good to be back and celebrating LGBTQ Plus History Month. I am very excited for today's guest. I have got Anjum Mooj from Queer Britain, uh, one of the trustees. Anjum, welcome. How are you? Very well. Thanks for thanks for having us. And whoop whoop. Good to be back on radio and talking like this about queer history and our lives. Fabulous. Thank you for having us. Oh no, it's really exciting. And obviously celebrating um, LGBT plus history month. That's what we want, really, isn't it? Um, listen, for those who don't know um, or haven't heard yet, tell us more about queer Britain. Um, you know what it is and how it got started. Well, what can I say except, first of all, whoop, whoop, because it is so <laughs> exciting. Um, Queer Britain first established February uh, 2018 by uh, Joseph Gallino, and the purpose of it was ultimately put a flag in the sand. It's our time. It's about time. And really... Uh, uh, Joseph uh, began fundraising, thinking, articulating the absolute need uh, to create the UK's first LGBTQ plus museum. Um, and the first event was held actually at the Oscar Wilde Room at Cafe Royal Hotel in central London. And since then, Joseph and the ever-growing team, including myself as a trustee, um, we've just been really trying to work, working to fundraise, working to get inclusion, working to get the, you know, the quietest voices, working to get the loudest voices, working to get our community um, in to a museum, to get us visual, you know, to, to get that visual uh, upon us, if you like. Um, and, you know, that fundraising has really paid dividends. We are uh, really finally ready to open the doors uh, to uh, uh, Britain's first LGBTQI plus queer uh, uh, museum, as it were. Oh, I know. And how exciting because, you know, we you don't realise until you kind of, you know, have these types of conversations how much, I well, well you know how much it's needed, but you don't realise how little actually is available out there uh, in terms of a, a museum. So, yes, exciting news. Queer Britain does have a new home. Um, is, it, is it open to the public yet? Whereabouts is it? You know, what's happening there with that? Well, 
Unfortunately, it's not open to the public yet. Oh, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. But uh, you know, you know, look, spring is a time when things blossom, when things grow, when things come out and give us their full glory. So <laughs> the exact date is to be confirmed. Confirmed. But do watch this space. We will be opening in spring. We absolutely promise that. Um, it's located in Granary Square, to Granary Square in King's Cross. It's right next door to the Central St. Martin's Art School. It's an amazing location, uh, a, a walk by the canal, pretty central. Uh, you, know, I, 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 you know, I would definitely argue that museums, they've got a duty, they've got a responsibility to represent and repre reflect the big issues in society. And that, you know, really explore their visitors to, uh, uh, you know, uh, oh, sorry, really encourage their visitors rather to explore yeah. these um, issues in spaces and collections. And that's where we're going. You know, the museum's going to have four galleries, a shop, a workspace uh, for the Queer Britain team and for community spaces as well. We're going to be fully accessible, always free, um, and the building's owned by the Art Fund. Thank you, Art Fund. Oh, yes, amazing. Yeah, because again, you know, like you say, these queer spaces, absolutely few and far between. Um, <clears throat> so important that we that we have them. Um, I, what, I'm looking forward to spring. Spring is actually my favourite time of year, and so this is all fitting in perfectly uh, for me, Angem. So that's all working out well. Um, another quick question to think about as well. I mean, considering, you know, a lot of our queer history has actually been lost or destroyed over the years you know, why is it important to have this queer visibility do you think well queer people have always existed in history we just need to look through some of the uh, uh, timelines and ancient texts of uh, you know uh, old olden days um, and our stories they've been often um, overlooked uh, you know and, and denied um, and and you know basically you know there's there's just been I, I don't know, elements, I would say, of colonial history that has wiped out centuries of really progressive thinking around sexuality and gender. Um, and, and sometimes that's been hidden, uh, you know, it's not even been discussed, you know, hidden. Sometimes it's been absolutely just taken out of the history books. So it's important to highlight queer voices and people throughout history in all aspects of and, and, and walks of life from science to art, engineering and writing, music, and, 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 and much, much more. We're open to everybody, you know. Our, 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 you know we, are, we are diversity driven, if you like, in terms of being inclusive. We want that um, in terms of our uh, museum. Queer Britain is absolutely for everyone. Our museum is for everyone. And, and, and as such, we're committed to creating an organisation, to creating a museum that reflects and celebrates our history, our rich history, our rich diversity of all our communities, uh, as well as all of the intersectional and, and, and nature of, of sexuality and identity yeah I mean and that is it isn't it you know there's so much you know of our rich history you know past present and future that should be um heard seen and celebrated so you know it, it's absolutely important and I think I also you know thinking about 
the impacts that a lot of maybe political history has had on our community, even thinking about, you know, um, uh, Section 28 and how that's uh, impacted us as a community. Again, even now in 2022, you know, thinking about schools, we still have issues with homophobic, biophobic, transphobic bullying, um, you know, it really, and public opinion in many, in many ways. Um, do you think that having a queer museum can help uh, raise more education and awareness for uh, positive change? Yeah, I definitely believe that, you know, there is self-evident, there are moral and business and educational cases for this. I think that's spot on. And I think it's, you know, absolutely critical to bring Section 28 into the discussion today because um, ultimately, uh, you know, uh, uh, Section 28 has definitely uh, 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 stunted progress, if you like, of, of, of any queer liberation uh, movement, movement. So having a museum that celebrates LGBTQ plus people is just super critical and super important to us. And the museum will definitely help educate people in just how queer people have lived, uh, suffered, survived, and most importantly, survived. Yeah, and that is a really key word. I'm getting shivers, Andrew, thinking about this now because it's so true, isn't it? So important that, you know, we still have that visibility and that voice. Um, um, what's the public response been to the Queer Museum? Because I know previously, obviously, there was a lot of stuff online and you're not officially opened yet, but, you know, what's the response? Does it tend to be well, queer audiences or was it mixed in terms of sexual orientation and gender identities? Yeah, it's been incredible, actually, the, 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 the uh, public response. Um, uh, you know, we've had so many new followers to our social media. Lots of our press requests are coming in since we made the announcements last week. It's right. been really great. And it's definitely a mix of queer and straight people. We want to emphasise that the museum is a welcoming and inclusive space, of course. And, uh, you, know, for all, you know, for all sexualities, for all genders. Uh, and, and that definitely includes uh, heterosexual uh, people. Um, um, we, you know, we're really hoping that we can capture, you know, many of those stories that have been lost. As I say, you know, we want to, you know, not just surviving, but absolutely uh, thriving. We want to show that, showcase that in our museum. We're hoping that school trips uh, will come to the museum so that there's education about LGBTQ plus people and that becomes part of the curriculum um, and, and, and that, that, you know, basically... The, you know, some of that bullying that you talked about earlier will be reduced because of that. Some of that openness and acceptance uh, will, will, will come about because of that. I also sit on a, a trustee board uh, called Imam, which is a board of, uh, we worked for uh, uh, the Muslim LGBTQI communities. So we're hoping that our Muslim will pull together UK's diverse communities, uh, both in terms of uh, uh, any of those intersectional identity yeah yeah well it is all it's all identity and diversity isn't it really it's everything that we we all are different identities and how we can kind of come together and celebrate that as well um and you know just before we kind of round up i know there's going to be many parts to um you know exhibitions and stuff that will happen within the museum but as we are celebrating lgbtq plus history month and um, what who would you say is someone in queer history that you would like to maybe give a bit of a shout out about and why 
Oh wow! Well, you've got you. you sure there's many. <laughs> I would say there's you know there's so much going on in terms of thinking about the uh, history, in terms of the um, uh, Asian, the African diaspora. Thinking about the you know people that were you know just solidly uh, founded in terms of our history. The you know the founders of the original gay liberation movement, the founders, if you like, of uh, you know uh, gay pride and Stonewall um, in the States, many of the trans community, people like Ted Brown, who uh, basically held that mass kissing and got us our, uh, you know, Pride March and, uh, you know, the great gay liberation movement. Uh, there's so much to be said, so many voices that have been uh, suppressed, that have been denied in our history. As I say, writers, scientists, musicians, uh, I, I'm giving a shout out to them all, really. I think part of our uh, museum. Oh, I'm with you. I'm totally with you on that. There's not enough time, is there, to, to really give a true uh, you know, shout out to everyone. But again, just goes to show even more reason why people need to come and see you guys at Queer Britain, uh, find out more about the history and why it's important. Um, and yeah, people, if you're listening, just get your booties down there in spring. And I will be one of them first in the queue. Um, so I just want to say thank you so much for um, for joining me today, Angie. Um, just lastly, where can people find you? Maybe on social media or even the website to access more information. Yeah, just absolutely look us up, queerbritain.org.uk. You can find out more about what we're doing, more about what we're uh, up to. Come and come, come and join us, even donate to us. That'll be absolutely fantastic. And you can uh, follow us on Instagram, at Queer Britain. Thanks so much. Uh, that's great. Yeah, no problem. Listen, thank you so much. I'm really excited. As I say, I really will be first in the queue when the doors open. Um, but uh, looking forward to it all um, and say, yeah, thanks again. Um, Anjan Morch from Queer Britain. Yay! Thank you so much. <laughs> the Shout Out Podcast. LGBT History Month with BCFM 93.2. Noel Coward. Noel Coward was an English playwright, composer, director, actor and singer, known for his wit, flamboyance and what Time magazine called a sense of personal style, a combination of cheek and chic, pose and poise. Many of his works, such as Hay Fever, Private Lives, Design for Living, Present Laughter and Blithe Spirit, have remained in the regular theatre repertoire. Coward did not publicly acknowledge his homosexuality, but had encouraged those close to him to write frank biographies after his death. A biography by Graham Payne, his longtime partner, along with Coward's diaries and letters, were published posthumously. This is Shadow News on Thursday, 17th of February. We have in the past reported on some of the antics of anti-transgender extremists whose stunts have included disrupting London's Pride Parade, trampling over rainbow flags and attacking the gay rights charity Stonewall and the liberal newspaper The Guardian with crudely drawn penis posters. Such vandalism led to many mainstream feminists, such as Judith Butler, pointing out the similarities between these groups and the extreme right wing.
Now the anti-trans groups appear to have shown their homophobic and anti-lesbian credentials yet again by vandalising the streets around the headquarters of the group Pride in Surrey. The LGBTQIA group has issued a statement confirming that hate crime officers of the police are monitoring the situation. Pride in Surrey goes on to say, quote, We know that the vast majority of the public don't support hate towards our community. We would like to direct anyone affected by the stickers in question or indeed by any hateful behaviour to our text talk line. You can text TALK to 88440 at any time and someone will be there for you to help, to listen and to signpost you. The GB News Channel and Radio Network reported on Friday night that the Isle of Man, also known in the Manx language as Alan Vannin, is to pardon gay and bisexual men who were historically convicted of consenting homosexual acts during the period when homosexuality was illegal. The Isle of Man only decriminalised male homosexuality in 92 and then under threat of action by the Westminster government from which the island is semi-autonomous. Correspondents on GB News, which is a centre-right news channel, welcomed the development and one called for the police service on the Isle of Man to apologise to gay men whose lives were damaged and overshadowed by their convictions. Mike's Radio, the oldest and effective state broadcaster on the island, reported that the first pardons are expected this summer. The bisexual Christian activist and peace campaigner Simon Hill, who is also the campaigns manager for the pacifist organisation the Peace Pledge Union, has hit back at a remark by Labour Party leader Sir Keir Starmer that implied that the British peace movement was in favour of Russian autocrat and homophobe Vladimir Putin. Mr Hill said, quote, Keir Starmer has launched a bizarre and ill-informed attack on peace campaigners. We have no sympathy whatsoever with Putin and his military aggression. Russian militarism and NATO militarism are two sides of the same coin. Our allies in Russia are not Putin and his cronies, but the peace activists who resist him. Meanwhile, another anti-war group, the more socialist-aligned Stop the War Coalition, which was formed in the run-up to the Iraq conflict of 2003, held a seminar on Thursday the 10th of February. Speakers included Medea Benjamin of the women's peace group Code Pink and Nina Potaska from the International Women's League for Peace and Freedom. The Stop the War Coalition remarked, This British government, alongside the US, is ramping up the threat of war. Even the Ukrainian foreign minister is calling for calm. Yet in the most cynical move of his career so far, Boris Johnson has used the threat of war to distract from the implosion of his premiership. One of Bristol's community radio stations is preparing to broadcast a series of programmes celebrating the achievements of black women. Ujima Radio transmits in the city at 98FM and is specifically licensed to provide services for the African-Caribbean population of the multicultural heart of the West Country. It says that to mark International Women's Day in March, it will broadcast a series of programmes called African Queens on the subject of black women and their achievements in all fields. Many black feminists are speaking out about the transphobia and racism of white-dominated radical feminist groups who prioritise white middle-class concerns at the expense of other women. Classic works of black feminism include Ain't I a Woman by Bell Hooks and the general statement of the Combahee River Collective, a black feminist and lesbian socialist network active in Boston during the 1970s. 
Catalonia, the semi-autonomous Catalan-speaking part of Spain, and its regional parliament have voted to rehabilitate the memory of around 700 women who were executed for witchcraft between 1400 and 1700. The BBC News Channel reports that the Catalan area was one of the worst parts of Europe for witch hunts against pagans, non-conformists, heretics and herbalist practitioners by fanatical church authorities. Pagan groups to this day call these centuries the burning times. Men, women and gender non-conformists were all murdered during the hysteria, but women brought bore the brunt of the wrath of church authorities. In Catalonia, the resolution to absolve the victims of witchcraft trials of all offences was backed by a coalition of liberal, left-wing and pro-independence parties who united to back a bill to formally pardon those killed. Political LGBTQIA plus people and in particular those interested in activism might find some reading material to their taste at the latest in an ongoing series of radical book fairs in the city of Bristol. Organised by the gay-friendly and long-standing anarchist booksellers Active Distribution established way back in 85, the latest event takes place on Sunday 20th of February from 11.30 to 3.30pm. The venue is the vegetarian cafe and event space The Exchange in the heart of Bristol's gay village Old Market. Organisers of the event say that vegan refreshments will be on sale as well as books, badges, stickers, fanzines, magazines and much opportunity for political networking. And finally, the Irish Broadcasting Network, RTE, reports that the prestigious Rose of Tralee beauty pageant, which is designed to honour the most beautiful Irish women, is moving with the times and will welcome transgender women as contestants for the first time. In addition, women who are married will be welcomed and the upper age limit raised to 29. Dorhi O'Shea, who is host of the pageant said if you look at the rose of trolley and look at what irish women are doing in any particular year i think we're a very good image and reflection of what's happening for these stories and more we update our website every day so please visit shoutoutradio.lgbt for shout out this is Star. and ezra peregrine shout out news national and international lgbt news for you my apologies, I went a little bit earlier, news team. <laughs> Sorry. LGBT History Month with BCFM 93.2. Lily Elba. Lily Elba was a Danish transgender woman and among the early recipients of what was then known as sex reassignment surgery. Elba married Gerda Gottlieb while they were art students in Copenhagen in 1904 when Gottlieb was 19 and Elba was 22. They both went on to have successful careers as artists. After modelling for Gerda wearing women's clothes, Elba regularly presented as a woman in public, on many occasions being introduced as Gerda's sister. In 1930, Elba went to Germany for sex reassignment surgery, which was highly experimental at the time. The couple's marriage was invalidated in October 1930, and Elba was able to get her sex and name legally changed. In 1931, at the age of 48, Elba died from complications involving a uterus transplant. LGBT History Month with BCFM 93.2. Shout out. LGBT Radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast.
welcome to Queer Street. Today I'm talking to you about the legend that is Little Richard. Little Richard may not have invented rock and roll, but he most certainly reinvented it. Born Richard Pennyman, the golden voice gem from Georgia, infused his entertaining performances with a flair and femininity previously unseen in the music industry. Richard became known as Little Richard because of his skinny frame and more notably because his right leg was three inches shorter than his left. His steps had an inconsistent cadence and his hips swayed in a very pronounced fashion and many neighbourhood children assumed he was trying to stand out by purposely walking in a feminine way. And so he soon became a recipient of homophobic slurs and other verbal vitriol. However, it was this bullying that bred a competitive streak in him driving Richard to outdo everyone in every endeavour he could, and as one of 12 siblings, he always had someone to compete with. Like the kids outside, Richard's father Bud deemed Richard too feminine. The issue wasn't his son's feminine walk, but the budding rock star's long hair and propensity to put on makeup. Richard also wore his mother's curtains and proclaimed himself the Magnificent One. These charming, glamorous antics infuriated Bud, who was a church deacon and a firm believer in gender norms. He not only insulted his son, but frequently physically assaulted him. It was Little Richard's leg that introduced him to music. Richard's mother believed that sending him to church would heal his affliction. His leg never lengthened, but his lungs got a lot of exercise. At church, Richard learned that he had one hell of a voice. After performing at the TikTok Club in Macon and winning a local talent show, Pennyman landed his first record deal with RCA in 1951. And that's when he officially became Little Richard, when he was about 15 years old. When I first came along, I never heard any rock and roll, he told Rolling Stone in 1990. When I started singing, I sang it a long time before I presented it to the public because I was afraid they wouldn't like it. I'd never heard anybody do it and I was scared. By 1956, he only had one track, Cut, called Little Richard's Boogie, which hinted at the musical tornado to come. I put that little thing in it, he told Rolling Stones in 1970 of the way he tweaked with his gospel roots. I always did have that thing, but I didn't know what to do with the thing that I had. During one of Little Richard's low points, he sent a tape with a rough version of a baldy novelty song called Tutti Fruity to Specialty Records in Chicago. He came up with the song's famed chorus, Wop Baloobop Wop Bamboo, while board washing dishes. By coincidence, label owner and producer Art Roop was in search of a lead singer for some tracks he wanted to cut in New Orleans, and Pennyman's howling delivery fit the bill. In September 1955, the musician cut a lyrically cleaned up version of Tutti Fruity, which became his first hit, peaking at 17 on the pop chart. Tutti Frutti really started the races being together. From the get-go, my music was accepted by whites, he said. Its follow-up, Long Tall Sally, hit number six, becoming his highest-placing hit of his career. For just over a year, the musician released one relentless and arresting smash hit after another. From Long Tall Sally to Slippin' and Slidin', Little Richard's hits, a glorious mix of boogie gospel and jump blues produced by Robert Bumps Blackwell, sounded like he never stood still. With his trademark pompadour and makeup, which he once said he started wearing so that he would be less threatening while playing white clubs, he was instantly on the level of Elvis Presley. That's what the kids in America were excited about, he told Rolling Stone in 1970. They don't want the falsehood, they just want the truth. Little Richard gave up music in 1957 and began attending the Alabama Bible School, Oakwood College, where he was eventually ordained a minister. 
When he finally cut another album in 1959, the result was a gospel set called God Is Real. In 1964, with his gospel music career floundering, Little Richard returned to secular rock. When Little Richard played the Star Club in Hamburg in the early 60s, the opening act was none other than the Beatles. We used to stand backstage at Hamburg Star Club and watch Little Richard play, John Lennon said. He used to read from the Bible backstage and just to hear him talk, we'd sit around and listen. I still love him and he's still one of the greatest. By the 70s, Little Richard was making a respectable living on the rock oldie circuit, immortalised in a searing, sweaty performance in the 1973 documentary Let the Good Times Roll. During this time, he also started smoking marijuana and became addicted to cocaine while at the same time returning to his gospel roots. Little Richard's influence was massive. The Beatles recorded several of his songs, including Long Tall Sally, and Paul McCartney, singing on those tracks in the Beatles' own I'm Down, paid tribute to Little Richard's shredded throat style. His songs became part of the rock and roll canon, covered over the decades by everyone from the Everly Brothers, the Kinks, Credence Clearwater Revival, to Elvis Costello and the Scorpions. Little Richard also dismantled sexual stereotypes in rock and roll, even if he confused many of his fans along the way. During his teen years and into his early rock stardom, his stereotypical flamboyant personality made some people speculate about his sexuality. In 1987, filmmaker John Waters quoted him as saying, Gay people are the sweetest, kindest, most artistic, warmest and most thoughtful people in the world. And since the beginning of time, all they've ever been is kicked. I love gay people. I believe I was the founder of gay. I'm the one who started to be so bold, telling the world, you've got to remember, my dad put me out of the house because of that. I used to take my mother's curtains and put them on my shoulders, and I used to call myself, at the time, the magnificent one, because I was, and I am. I was wearing makeup and eyelashes when no men were wearing that. I was very beautiful, and I am beautiful. I had hair hanging everywhere. If you let anybody know you were gay, you're in trouble. So when I came out, I didn't care what nobody thought. A lot of people were scared to be with me. Later in life, he described himself as omnisexual, attracted to both men and women. And none of this seemed to damage his mystique or legend. In the 1980s, he appeared in movies like Down and Out in Beverly Hills and in TV shows like Full House and Miami Vice. In 1986, he was one of the 10 original inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And in 93, he was awarded a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Grammys. His last known recording was in 2010, when he cut a song for a tribute album to gospel singer Dottie Rambo. Little Richard's stage persona, his pompadours, androgynous makeup, his glass bead shirts also set the standard for rock and roll showmanship. Prince, to cite one obvious example, owed a sizable debt to the musician. Prince is the Little Richard of his generation, Richard told Joan Rivers in 1989, before looking at the camera and addressing Prince, I was wearing purple before you were wearing it. If you love anything about the flamboyance of rock and roll, you have Little Richard to thank, says the Black Keys' Dan Allback, a long-time fan. And where would rock and roll be without flamboyance? He was the first. To be able to be that uninhibited back then, you have a lot to not give up. Little Richard died from bone cancer on May 9th, 2020. He was 87. He was a trailblazer and a trendsetter. Others imitated, but he always did it better. And music is better off as a result. It doesn't matter if you're a Hendrix or a Beatles fan, if you jam to Prince or get rocked by Queen, I think there's a little bit of Richard in all of them. 
And he said, I think my legacy should be that when I started in show business, there wasn't no such thing as rock and roll. When I started Tutti Frutti, that's when rock really started rocking. The only thing crazier than Little Richard's impact on music is his life story. He's done the insane, embraced the profane, and made us sing along to lyrics like a wop bam a bop a wop bam boom without giving them a second thought. And that brings me to the end of this queer story. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the wonderful, magnificent life of Little Richard. Shout Out Podcast. For more information about Shout Out Radio, visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Shout Out. LGBT Radio for you. LGBT History Month with BCFM 93.2. Peter Wildblood. In the early 1950s, Wildblood, a journalist for the Daily Mail, began an affair with an RAF corporal named Edward McNally. In 1952, Wildblood and McNally attended a party held by Lord Montague of Beaulieu, along with Montague's cousin, Michael Pitt Rivers, and another RAF serviceman. Wildblood, Montague and Pitt Rivers were brought to trial, charged with committing acts of homosexual indecency. The two servicemen gave evidence in exchange for leniency. During the course of the trial, Wildblood admitted to his sexuality, making him one of the first men in the UK to publicly declare his homosexuality. The publicity surrounding the case, the harsh sentences, along with further testimony by Wildblood to the Wolfenden Committee, eventually led to the decriminalisation of homosexuality in the UK in 1967. LGBT History Month with BCFM 93.2 Well, I must say, yes, that was a really good piece that you did on Little Richard. It's, um, it's terrifying how surprised you sound that I wrote a good piece, <laughs> but thank you, thank you. Well, OK, Flattery you always write a good piece, but <laughs> that, that was, uh, well, I guess it was the story, Yeah, it was extremely there? exciting yeah. as well, yeah. and, and a lot of fun to research. He actually flip-flopped, didn't he, between <gasps> his support for a gay um, community and actually against it. Uh, I think I think going through, uh, well, <laughs> reflecting on what I read, it seems to kind of uh, directly link to his... Um, to his involvement with the church because what mm. happened with little richard is that he went in and out of being heavily immersed in the in the gospel church mm. and it seems so when i was reading through the quotes and the interviews there was a very big difference of when he wasn't in the church and when he was in the church and mm. how he felt about himself and his sexuality mm. um because he you know he came out as um a gay and then as um omnisexual I believe Mm. Um, and then he denounced that and said you know that he wasn't and then he said he was and um, he also was known for saying some quite transphobic comments which he also then went back on and went back to so yeah Mm. I think for him I I think well I think for him it was focused around his faith 
Um, mm. That's just me making a massive assumption going by the timeline. Well, it's, it's, it seems to parallel it, <laughs> Yes, it? it does. His view yeah. of going back into the church changed. When he came out, it changed again. Yes, and he struggled with lots of things. It wasn't just his sexuality, it was his addictions. Mm. Um, so I think he led a very complex life and was an incredibly talented person that was just mm. trying to find himself, really. Mm. So, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Terry. Do you know what? I, I remember uh, hearing Little Richard in about 1984 on Radio Luxembourg. He was uh, he was the guest of the DJ there, and he was absolutely outrageous. <laughs> I'd never heard yeah. anything like it in my life. Was that with he Tony was wonderfully Prince? Camp. It might well have been Tony Prince. Yeah, yeah. one of those big Luxembourg DJs. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. The royal <laughs> ruler. Amazing, the royal ruler. The royal ruler was Tony Prince. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, wasn't <laughs> it? Wasn't it Emperor Roscoe as well? Wasn't he uh, Radio Luxembourg? I don't know. He did Radio Caroline. Oh, Caroline. Yeah, and then went on the to offshore radio. pirates. And yeah, and then he went Luxembourg. to. Yeah, he went to Radio One though. Didn't he? He was on radio. Yeah. yeah, he's still about in the music, uh, yeah. in the radio business. Still didn't he? Programs. He carried off Wolfman Jack, didn't he? Yeah, it's, it's a similar kind similar. of act. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't know what we're talking about. So. <laughs> no, this is reminiscing of radio from the past. Yeah, Terry, you've yeah, got an item. Little Richard, Terry, you've got an item that you'd like to talk about. Well, I think we should say congratulations to Tom Daly, who's just. You know, he's a gay hero, he's an Olympic hero, and he's just uh, cycled, swam, uh, kayaked, and run all the way from London to Plymouth. Oh. According to ITV News today. Well, he's just they, finished. They, wow. They bumped, they, bumped, they bumped into him today. I mean, and to do that on the eve of Storm Eunice, <laughs> coming in from the Atlantic, is quite an achievement. It yes, is, he's massive. the man. He's the man. Incredible. So, uh, Yes. And as somebody wrote to The Guardian, they said, my God, he does look good in a pair of Speedos. <laughs> Love it. I actually missed who you were talking about. Was it uh, Sir Tom, uh, Sir, Mr. Sir Tom Daly? Is he a Sir? It was Sir Tom Daly. Yes. I, I don't think he's a Sir, no, he's, is he? He's an MBE or something. Oh, MBE, no? Tom, yes. Tom Daly. Yeah, I've just served him. You're welcome, Tom. <laughs> you never you, you know. He, he may be knighted in the future. Oh, I, I think true. so. And I do believe he should be doing it in Speedos, otherwise he shouldn't be knighted. Oh, okay. I, I don't want to make up these rules. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure that fits with the official dress code oh, for you going to collect okay. a, a royal honour. Well, you can wear a no. towel. <laughs> Loosely. <No. laughs> Those of us, of course, that are in the UK, we have a double bank holiday coming up in June. We do. Well, uh, with apologies to our listeners uh, in Ireland and uh, on the continent and in America, but we have a double bank holiday in June, yes. Oh, it's been on the throne 70 years. Yes. Well, we, we hopefully she will still be on the throne <laughs> Um, when when the time comes, yeah. Um, yeah. We, we we wish her well because she she's having a few health problems at mm. the moment. And mm. I'm sure, she'll recover fairly speedily. Yeah. Well, she is ninety six. Yes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And of course, all, to all you other queens out there who are listening, um, we hope you <laughs> prosper and live long. Lip prosper Indeed. and live long. <laughs> yeah, well, you can. It's copyrighted if live I say it the other way around, isn't it? No, that's copyright. You can't Ooh, say oh, sorry. <coughs> yeah. I didn't say anything. And Paramount got just, that. You, you were, that was me rewinding. But all you listeners out there didn't know what was going on. Yeah, um, Q8. Good, interesting story that came out today. Uh, the law criminalising imitation of the opposite sex has been overturned by the courts. What? Well, that's interesting. It is very interesting, <laughs> yes. obviously, being um, an Arab country. Oh, most Arab yeah. countries Highly are, conservative um, are very country, conservative. Highly conservative country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Because um, you could be imprisoned for impersonating a female. Okay, I understand that. I wasn't quite sure what was meant there. Yeah. Wow. So um, there's people actually in prison who had been caught wearing makeup 
so trans people as well as people who who just like to wear makeup and yeah i guess well express themselves differently the law is if you have a penis and you've got any female clothing on or makeup then you're likely to end up in prison i think uh, maybe andy h will uh, collaborate uh, uh, corroborate this sorry uh, I believe that in the United States in certain states right up until the 1970s there were similar laws yes. about dressing yeah. in appropriate clothing for yep. your yep. Uh, birth gender and Florida uh, so is, is heading that way fast yes Indeed. there are some well. there are some strange some strange things going on but some of our eastern European neighbours um, are also trying to bring in certain laws but um, yeah. the, the EU are uh, well they're saying, trying aren't they well, the, well, the, <sighs> they're the going to stop their money <gasps> yes the hearts. EU are, are, are going to uh, penalise them for trying to do so so mm. it's um, it's a valuable lesson if you if you do things that are out of step um, the EU will uh, will come along and say yeah. Mm, yeah, we, we haven't got doing that, that option here though unfortunately well, uh, we may not be a member of the EU but the EU still hold a, a lot of power so. indeed you do Interesting. That's it. We're Brilliant completely show. out of time. <laughs> Next week, we're joined by Antonio Foster talking sex and gender. <sighs> Thanks for listening. We'll be back same time, same channels next week. Have a good one, people. Cheer out. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Shout out. LGBT Radio for you.